How does one overcome trauma? And what is trauma? What do we mean by that? We live in the age of trauma. It's not a word that I grew up with, except hearing it about maybe trauma centers at the hospital, like the emergency room and so on. But it's become very uh, common in today's vocabulary with the growth of psychoeducation and the growth of counseling centers, the uh, advent of so-called Christian psychology and so on. And so what is trauma? Let's start there. Trauma, by definition, is anything less than nurturing, anything that is a violation of your humanity, your basic human dignity. Now, in a fallen world, what that means is that everyone suffers trauma. Trauma particularly is particularly heinous in your developmental years because you are so dependent and so vulnerable. A child is uh, very dependent, of course, on big people in their life, uh, their parents, their uh, older siblings, the um, uh, extended family, grandparents, and so on. And so when those environments, when those relationships are less than nurturing, and even uh, on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being less than nurturing and 10 being wholesale evil, there's going to be trauma. Trauma causes you to either go into a fight or flight or freeze mode. Uh, and trauma that's complex trauma means chronic trauma, meaning that it wasn't just an event. It wasn't the time that your father yelled at you. It was a fact that he yelled at you daily. It wasn't just that your grandparent sexually abused you once. It was that he did that uh, regularly. And perhaps you even uh, told your parents about it and they supported the grandfather. I mean, these are just a, a few indicators of some of the stories that I hear in my pastoral counseling office. And especially in relation to the parish office and home, uh, meaning the pastoral family himself, the pastor and his family. So trauma is anything less than nurturing, anything that violates our basic human dignity. Uh, and violence, verbal, emotional, physical, sexual violence, certainly violates our uh, human dignity. It causes us to uh, adopt a stance where we are in a state of constant vigilance, hypervigilance, and uh, it causes us to make conclusions about ourselves that are not true. For instance, if you're eight years old and you're experiencing abuse on some level or another, you uh, ha can't reason that out. You don't have the prefrontal cortex developed enough in your mind to be able, your brain, to be able to say, well, gee, dad's drunk, or mom is really having a bad uh, day, or, or you just assume that it's you, and because you cannot, you cannot do anything but idealize the big people in your life, because you're so utterly dependent upon them. So if mom yells at you, or dad yells at you, or dad hits you, or beats you, or um, mom puts a cigarette out on your arm, uh, then 
chances are the child's going to assume that it was their fault. There's something inherently wrong with the, with me. That's the that's the message. And so children draw many conclusions about themselves early in life based upon how they're treated, based upon the environment in which they're being they're living. Uh, some children are told not to have feelings, to quit feeling that way, or they're too sensitive, or or uh, a child may bring a picture he or she has drawn to a parent and, and looking for approval and affirmation and get only scorn and contempt and mockery. While the child cannot help but draw conclusions from that experience about themselves. I'm no good. I'm not enough. I'm a bad kid. And it's painful. It's traumatizing. It it sends shock waves through the mind, through the, um, the body, and uh, and then carries over if that type of abuse is still even happening, even in the schools with your teachers. I mean, goodness, I grew up in a time when teachers spoke however they really wanted to to children. Um, I remember uh, misbehaving, and the and the teacher told me to go stand out in the hallway. I was being given a timeout, if you will. And 15 or 20 minutes later, he came walking out with another young man and said, well, Rick, I finally found somebody stupider than you and had me go back into the classroom and make that young man stand out there instead. And I grew up in a time when hacking with those old wooden hackboards was a, was a prominent thing. I think I received uh, at least three or four hacks during my time as a student in junior high. I even had a teacher once threaten to uh, knock out my teeth, my front teeth, if I didn't quit talking in class. So abuse happens in a fallen world. Trauma happens. So trauma is not something that is unique to any class of people. Trauma is not something that some people experience and others don't. In a fallen world, trauma happens. It's a universal experience. The only question is, is on what scale do you experience it? Is, is it low on the scale or high on the scale? I mean, some people begin life as, as infants having been thrown into a dumpster and left to die and had a passerby not heard the a baby crying, that child would have died of dehydration or hunger in a dumpster. Now that is wholesale evil. On the other hand, some parents are just overwhelmed themselves and they, they can't give the, the child affirmation, nurture, and guidance. And so the child uh, suffers. And, and that's the other end of the scale. It's, it's not a, a, a deliberate or malicious act on the parent's part. They're just overwhelmed themselves or they're just incapable of adequately caring for a child. But nonetheless, the child will experience that as trauma. Now, that's the nurture side of trauma. And by the way, let me before I leave that, let me just add that trauma is a natural response to a stressful act. There's nothing wrong with being traumatized. I mean, it's not good that it happens, but it's it's like if you hurt your body, if you cut your skin, you'll bleed. If you hit, run into something 
hard, it'll leave you with a bruise. I mean, it's, it's a natural consequence. So uh, trauma is, doesn't mean that you're uniquely flawed or that you're weak. It means that you're human and that you experience a stressful event in a very human way. What is wrong is that we don't have a structure within our family or within our culture to adequately acknowledge that and to uh, provide the counseling and the care necessary to process that trauma. So trauma happens. The problem comes when we don't resolve it. Let me say that again. Trauma happens. But the problem is, is when we don't resolve it. Just like any other injury to our humanity. As I say, a, a cut or a broken leg or some other injury is bad enough. But if you don't take steps to treat and heal it, that makes it only 10 times worse and could even lead to death. So trauma is a universal experience in a fallen world. It's just a matter of where you're at on the scale, on the continuum. And trauma is anything that violates your human dignity. Every person, every believer or unbeliever has basic human dignity, God-given dignity. And when that isn't respected, and when that is violated, it creates trauma. Now, that trauma, as I've said, causes a child especially to draw certain conclusions about themselves. It, it freezes their maturity level. We need affirmation, nurture, and guidance, discipline to be able to grow well. If we don't get those things, we may grow chronologically, I mean we may actually grow physically into an 18-year-old or 21-year-old adult, but we're still stuck in our uh, emotional state in our psychological state of being maybe 10 years old or 8 years old or whenever the trauma first started, whenever the abuse first started. So we have to deal with issues of trauma, codependence, and addiction. Trauma is the underlying problem. Codependence, as that term has been coined, simply means I, I, keep, redo I keep doing what I learned. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, I'm dependent upon what I learned. And then we find people that are like us. In other words, our parents teach us how to do relationships. For good or evil. And then we marry or connect with communities that are familiar to us. There's a big word called xenophobia. It means that the fear of strange things, strange people, strange environments. And because of xenophobia, which is actually a good thing, it, it, it helps, uh, you ever, if you've ever met some small children for the first time, they may be shy, they may be a little resident, uh, reticent about um, uh, getting to know you until they trust you. That's a healthy thing. That's xenophobia. They're a little nervous about being around strangers, and children should be cautious. All people should be cautious. We shouldn't just open ourselves up vulnerably to everyone. Jesus didn't. John chapter 2, it said that many believed in him, but he did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in man, and no one needed to testify to him as to what was in man. So we do need to be wise about who we open ourselves up to.
But nonetheless, we, we are growing up in an environment with which we come, become very familiar. Proverbs tells us that raise a child up in the way that we should go, he should, should go, and when he or she is older, they will not depart from it. That's by design. God's design was that the family be a place of affirmation, nurture, and guidance, and most importantly, the knowledge of himself. The knowledge of himself. God designed the family to be the uh, venue by which the knowledge of God, the true epigenosis in Greek, the true knowledge, the full knowledge of God's character, his goodness, his mercy, his love, his holiness, his righteousness, was conveyed from generation to generation. Now, in a, in a fallen world where the image of God has been distorted and even shattered, the family stays in that um, uh, state of, of being that mission, but it's now a distorted image of God. It's now a twisted image of God. And so that the child grows up with that instead. And then they go out into society, they begin to connect with friends, and even later on in marriage, if they do uh, get married, uh, to what's familiar to them. So they, they perpetuate the uh, evil with which they grew up with in, in with their new relationships as adults. And that creates a lot of pain. Abusive, dysfunctional, ungodly family patterns creates, and rightfully so, pain. Pain to the soul is the same as pain to the body. It just means something's wrong. Something needs to be addressed. But if we don't know how to do that, then we just perpetuate the pain, don't we? we don't, if we don't heal it, it only gets worse. So, uh, so then we oftentimes turns to many forms of addiction to try to cope or try to uh, medicate that or, or to deny it or to escape from the pain. I did. By the time I was 14, somebody said, do you want to drink some of this? And I said, yes, yes, I do. And <laughs> somebody said, do you want to smoke some of this? I said, well, yes, yes, I do. And it, it provided me a place to go that, that helped me get out of the painful reality in which I was living already at that age. So that's the nurture part of it. And the church in the last couple of centuries especially has been very difficult to find any kind of godly pastoral care that was competent in, in, uh, in addressing that nurture part of our humanity, that sin has taken that toll on our humanity, our basic human dignity. Um, the... I only hesitate because it's so traumatic to me just to even realize how how little pastoral care is available to you today. Uh, pastors want to be superstars. They want to be uh, inspirational speakers. They want to be uh, motivators. They they want to be personalities. They want to develop a cult of personality. They don't want to be shepherds. It's really very twisting, or they become peddlers of the word of God for profit, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So 
um, we, but we do have to come to grips now. The Christian community, the church universal, has to come to grips with the reality in which we live. And believe me, folks, if you think because you grew up in a Christian home or that your father was a pastor, that somehow you are immune to this, as you probably already know, that's simply not true. Some of the worst cases of trauma, codependence, and addiction that I deal with are PKs, pastor's kids. And some of the most heinous forms of abuse that I've ever dealt with in my pastoral care office is people who are pastor's kids, who were, uh, were not only the parents, but people in the church were abusing these children, and everybody looked the other way in order to maintain the appearance of religion. Evil is never more insidious than when it's cloaked in clerical garb. So those are the issues of trauma. How do we overcome trauma? How do we overcome that lack of nurture? Well, we first, number one, we have to first stop and acknowledge it. And that is huge. That's 50% of the battle. Coming to grips with the way it was, not the way it should have been, is the biggest piece necessary to help people in tr with issues of trauma. Most people got so used to the abuse, it became normative for them. They just assumed that that's the way life is. That's the way people are to be treated. But it's not true, obviously. But, so many times, people will come into my office thinking that it's something else going on in their life, that they need a new job, or they're having some issues with their marriage, or something, and they, they don't even want to talk about what it was like for them growing up. Some people can't even remember whole parts of their childhood. Some people have no memory of blocks of their childhood, years of their childhood. That's how bad the abuse was, and yet they refuse to talk about it. And when they refuse to talk about it, they, there is no healing available. It's like repentance and faith. We have to admit our need before we can find the solution, right? We have to admit that we're lost before we can be a, find and acknowledge Christ as a Savior for the lost. We have to admit that we're sinners before we can uh, embrace his atonement for sin on our behalf. We have to admit that we're out of relationship with God in order to be re reconciled back into that reconciliation. Uh, that relationship uh, through the blood of Christ and the spirit within us. But most people aren't willing to admit that. So the first step in healing trauma is to simply find some place, someone, whether it's another godly person, preferably somebody older, has got some life experience, some mature Christian, or a, a, a genuine Christian counselor. I'm going to say something that might get me in trouble now, but Please try to understand. I don't recommend that you see somebody who's just out of seminary or just out of college. I mean, one of the 
better things that I heard during my graduate school years was a professor tell a group of 85 students in a room, a classroom, that most of you are going to go on to be licensed, trained therapists, and you're going to do more harm than good for the first 15 years of your practice. I mean, think of what I just said. People are already suffering, and they're going to see people who are now, quote, licensed therapists, and they're, and they're doing more harm than good because the therapist has no experience. They haven't had any real-life training. They may be 25, 30 years old, and it's going to be a while. They're going to do some damage, and they're going to need to acquire some personal life experience and do their own work before they can actually be of any use to anyone. So find somebody that you can talk to, whether it's an older, godly, mature Christian, uh, or if your pastor is trustworthy and you believe that he will be willing to listen to you, just tell him that you really want to deal with some issues of nurture that, uh, that occurred in your childhood. And if he's open, if he's caring, then he'll, he will want that part of your humanity to be healed. If he blows you off and dismisses you and says, don't worry about it, you're saved, then find another church. So the first step is to admit it. Admit that you experienced abuse, preferably with a good, solid, experienced, mature counselor, pastoral counselor, somebody who can genuinely hear you with trained ears and discerning heart, somebody who's genuinely a Christian themselves, who has the Holy Spirit guiding them and leading them, and they're working with you, and admit what happened. It's just okay. It wasn't your fault. Admit what happened. Admit what it was like for you to live in that environment. And then begin the process of growing up because you've been stunted in your development. And But here's the glorious news is that you can recapture that growth process and you can grow into a full, functional, uh, mentally and emotionally mature adult still. It's not too late. You know, 100 years ago, we thought if people were suffering mental illness, it was just too bad. Lock them up. Medicate them. We know better today. Things like brain plasticity and other discoveries. We've learned that people can heal. People can be restored to sanity. Now, there are rare cases where it's, it's, it's a chemical. There's something functionally wrong with the brain. And those cases may have to be treated in a medical facility. And they may even have to be in a, in a place where they're in a home for the rest of their life. But those are rare. But we used to just throw people in asylums. Give them drugs. Shut them down. Much of our mental health care system is the same way today. We, we do tell people, well, gee, that's too bad that happens to you. Here's a pill, now go away. So we don't really have a functioning um, mental health system in the United States or England or Europe. What we do have is hopefully enough pastoral care, as rare as that is today, that you can find someone somewhere to begin this process with. So admit what's going on and then uh, begin to adopt principles 
of growing up. Things like exercising self-care, exercising moderation, learning to exercise healthy boundaries, be able to discern reality from falsehood, fantasy, and embrace spiritual living. And that brings us to our next point, and that is um, issues of nature. The reason I'm a pastoral counselor is because I realized early in my in my um, graduate school work that that I could go on and become a licensed mental health therapist, which is fine, except I would only be dealing with issues of nurture mostly, and I wanted to be free to deal with issues of nurture and nature. And so while I've got four years worth of training in chemical uh, uh, dependency and uh, issues of substance abuse, and then went on to uh, two and a half years of uh, counseling psychology and the study of psychology, the human mind and, and childhood development and so on and so on, I wanted to finish my educational process on a theological note. I understood that it was theology that dealt accurately with nature, not humanism, and certainly not secular psychology. So I finished my master's degree and I finished my doctorate in theology and pastoral care with an emphasis on pastoral counseling um, so that I could be well equipped uh, to deal with issues of nature as well as nurture. So I want to emphasize that for you to recover fully from trauma, you have to come to grips with the nature as well. You have to do that through the gospel. Now, here's where we have another issue, and that is so little of the gospel is being taught. The gospel from the time that Jesus opened his lips and began to teach to this very moment has always been the minority view. Jesus taught in the, against the headwinds of the religious structure of his day. At one point, said C.K. Barrett, Jesus was the church, and he was speaking truth. He was the faithful Jew in the midst of an apostate Israel. He spoke the truth. He handed that truth. He carried, he transferred that and entrusted that revelation onto his apostles. And at Pentecost, they were equipped and empowered to carry forth the self-revelation of God in his Son to the nations. And they've done that, and that's recorded for us in, our, in the pages of the New Testament. But the gospel itself is a gospel of an accomplished salvation. That which God has done from eternity past by sending his Son into the world to secure that salvation for those whom God determined to save in eternity. And then the Spirit applied it. So the gospel is the proclamation of a Trinitarian work that brings us from a state of dead and trespasses and sins to being made alive in Christ to hearing the gospel, believing, and being sealed by the, by the Spirit, so that now we are the children of God. 
our nature has been changed. That is the glorious message of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 and John chapter 3 when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born anew, you must be born of the Spirit. So the good news of the gospel is that God has sovereignly intervened in your death and while you were yet dead in trespasses and sins and were by nature children of wrath, he has intervened and made you alive in Christ, given you the gift of faith. That faith has Christ himself as the object so that you are united with Christ, sealed by the Spirit for a redemption yet to be fully realized, and that your nature has been changed so that we are now children of God by nature. We read that in the second Peter, don't we? In second Peter one, four through six, where he says that we are now been made partakers of the divine nature. You are now a child of God, and while it has not yet been fully realized what you will be, you are nonetheless a child of God sealed for full redemption, yet to be fully realized. You are not, and hear me now clearly, please mark this down, you are not on a probationary state with the Father. You are the recipient of a mighty work of sovereign grace whereby you are uh, united with his Son in a secure relationship that he who has begun the work inside of you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You are not on a probationary relationship. Now, that has been, and it is today, the minority view. The popular gospel is that of a probationary relationship with God based upon what you do. You enter it by your free will, you maintain it by your free will, and by doing certain duties and activities with the hope that one day that you will actually make it into heaven without backsliding and falling away and, and still facing the flames of hell. That's the majority view. And why is that the majority view? Because it implies that you're still in control. Listen, the truth of the gospel has always been and is now the minority view because any view of faith that disposes of man's illusion of control will always be rejected. The popular gospel is popular. It's a false gospel. It's not a saving gospel, but it's being preached every Sunday throughout the land, especially on Christian television. Is popular because it implies you're in control. That, yes, God wants to save you. And yes, Jesus died and rose again so that you could be saved. But ultimately, it's up to you. All that God has done, all that Jesus has done, is subject to utter failure. If you don't receive it, if you don't autonomously say, okay, I will, I will choose Jesus. And then I will continue to do all the right things in order to stay saved. That's the false gospel. But what I'm saying to you is that is in the majority view. 
That's the teaching of Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, much of Protestantism, Methodism. It is the, it is the view of many evangelicals. It's a false gospel. But the glorious news of an accomplished salvation, although it's from the time Jesus began teaching it until the time the apostles uh, preached it and proclaimed it and wrote about it in the New Testament, and thanks be to God, we have that record preserved for us in the New Testament. The good news of the gospel is, is of an accomplished salvation on your behalf. That God has done for you what you could have never done for yourself and that which you had nothing to bring to the table. You had nothing to contribute, including faith. The Bible teaches that faith, saving faith itself, is a gift of God. That the regenerating rebirth of the Spirit precedes saving faith, not the other way around. So the point I want to make, though, is that in addition to pastoral care for nurture, you need pastoral care for nature. And that is almost as hard to find as the pastoral care for nurture. But my, my beloved brother or sister, you need it. You have to have it. So if you've got issues of trauma plaguing you or relational and family pain, uh, severe issues of addiction, and you have a half-baked gospel, half-baked false gospel, uh, what a horrible condition. Listen, the, the problem with a false gospel and the man-centered gospel that is so popular today, that uh, other issues of trauma, codependence, and addiction, those are child play compared to the deadly nature of a false gospel. So that's why we here at Encounter Recovery Ministries are so utterly devoted, passionately devoted, to providing you pastoral care for your nurture and for your nature. We have to deal with issues of nurture and nature in order to be whole. And thanks be to God that in Christ Jesus we have redemption, both from the empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers, 1 Peter 1, 17-21, and from the state of being dead in trespasses and sins and nature by nature children of wrath with a God who intervened, made us alive in Christ so that we are now by nature, by virtue of our union with Christ, according to the free grace, riches of his grace, children of God by nature. And then we can begin anew, a new life story based upon that new framework, a new pair of glasses, if you will, a new and living way, free from the issues of the past and now in a union with Christ that brings true righteousness, true peace, and true joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, I hope this has been helpful. How do you recover from trauma? You begin, first of all, by admitting it and understanding that your issues of addiction and family and relational pain are symptomatic of unresolved trauma. And so you have to admit the trauma. You have to admit what it was like for you growing up and then get that healed. Talk about it. 
work through it with somebody and then realize that you have to you have to repent of those patterns you have to get in touch with your own thoughts and feelings and how you experience relationships as an adult so you can take care of yourself you can set good boundaries i'll talk about that more in the next uh next lesson and then move on to issues of nature make certain that you know what the gospel is i dare say in conclusion that i'd say 90% of the christians i talk to have no idea of the gospel they think they do but it's not a biblical gospel it's not the gospel of free grace sovereignly applied to your life at a time when you could do nothing to save yourself it's a man-centered gospel in which Jesus died simply to make salvation possible subject to your choices. That's the false gospel. Well, I'll end there. Trauma occurs both on a nurture and a nature basis. And both have to be addressed. Keep coming back. I'm passionate. I'm stubborn. I'm persistent. <laughs> and I'm devoted to providing you the pastoral care as we all hear at Encounter Recovery Ministers Ministries to provide you the pastoral care that you deserve and that God has ordained for you to experience. Amen.